Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Uh, welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon, and we have Emily Wallace again, who is now a permanent fixture on our show. Welcome, Emily. Hello. How are you going? Very well. Thank you. Now, we must thank Wellman Finance before we get into this show, because it's going to be a cracking show. I, it's an exciting topic that I know you'll all want to sink your teeth in, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. I'm going to talk about Sean and his team first of all. Uh, we can't do this show without him and his team in Melbourne. Uh, wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash M3. Now, why I like Sean, number one, is because he's a Essendon supporter. So that means a lot in my world. Um, is that em- a qualifier, is it? It's a number one <laughs> qualifier. <laughs> Emily, who do you bag for? Who do I go for? Yes. Uh, I have to admit, I don't actually have a team. I'm originally from Tassie and we don't do football, so Excellent. I have no opinion whatsoever. Okay, well, that's good. So you can stay on the fence with that one. But sure. no, seriously, wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash M3. Um, give a shout out to Sean if you need any of your finances sorted. Well, you definitely will need finance when you place an offer. You'll need it long before placing an offer, won't you? So we're talking about that today, how to place an offer. What is the process about uh, what is officially an offer versus a, yeah, I might buy it at this price type off-the-cuff comment. Uh, Emily, I'll start with you. Tell, Tell us about the process. So I think that the biggest thing and the reason that we wanted to cover off on this topic is that there is a lot of misunderstanding about placing an offer and and what is an offer. First thing I want to say is nothing is legitimate or an offer until it's in writing and it is signed. Yes. So if you're listening, that would be the first note I would take. It's it's not legitimate until it's in writing and it is signed. Yes. So So just before you go on, that is a requirement right around the country, isn't it? It needs to be in writing, whether that be email, uh, by using a pen to paper, uh, put in the post, it's got to be written down in some way, shape or form. Definitely. And look, every agency has their own process of how that looks, what what they'll accept and what they won't. You need to be across that and find out what their expectations are. But blanket rule, I think almost a universal rule. It's yes. not legit until it's in writing. Now, you might know the answer to this. I'm putting you on the mm. spot. But I spoke to an agent the other day and they actually actually required me to put some money down with my offer. Now, tell me if that's legal or not and, and can I ignore that in respect to my offer? I believe it is because I have also been asked to do the same. Now, it is held in trust. Yeah. So it's held in the agency's trust account, which is obviously managed by the agency and will be returned to you should your offer not be accepted. But I do believe that that is uh, 
legal. Okay. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, mm-hmm. I, I get the whole tyre kicker, the, this person's not serious if they're not prepared to put some money down. But it's also a bit of a clunky one if I've got five offers out there at any one time. If if I'm an aggressive investor or home buyer, I might have four or five offers out on the table at any one time. What I would say just on that is on the flip side for the vendor, if they're asking you to put some money down with your offer, it's a lot of fluffing around to give out trust account details, get the deposit and then refund multiple parties if um, you're not successful. My gut feeling on that would be is if they're asking you to put some money down with it, they're not working with, you know, five or six buyers. That's too way too much admin for agencies to yeah. reimburse everybody. I would strongly suspect it might be you and one other player if they're asking you to do that. Sure. So what you're saying is that it sorts the men from the boys. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, people come to me and, and say, look, John, I can't find a property. I've been looking for months. Uh, I, just, I just can't find what I'm looking for. The first question I ask them is, how many offers have you put in? And the usual response to that is none or one, right? Talk to us about how aggressive we need to be with the offer process. Well, obviously we're looking at, you know, private sales or best offer um, by, by a closing date. If it's a property that you're really after, obviously as this um, message goes throughout every episode we've recorded around research is key, but you need to structure your offer that in a way that is attractive to the vendor. And yes, price is a big factor, but there are other key points at play here. And this requires you to become friendly with the agent to understand what the vendor's situation is and therefore what can you do to make your offer more attractive. Mm. So in being aggressive, yes, we do need to be aggressive and we need to be timely as well with our offer but we also need to have the research behind to understand what's going to make that a great killer offer that the vendor goes, yeah, I'll take that one. Correct, yeah. So if we backtrack a little bit, there's a few different ways that we can buy property in Australia. We can go to auction, which Melbourne, your, your city is the auction capital. So that's oh, yeah. a certain date, a certain time. You've got to be there and highest bidder at the fall of the hammer, it's yours. Uh, we've got private treaty, which is just an open market. We run inspections and, um, oh, sorry, open homes and we put in offer and then eventually you get the, the best offer and sign the contract. And we've got what you've just mentioned, the best offer by a certain date, which is almost an auction process, but it's actually a silent auction, isn't it? Because no one knows what the other person's um, bid was or, or uh, offer was, which in my opinion is the least favourable for the purchaser. Definitely. I avoid it at all costs. I really don't like that method of sale. Auction is absolutely the most transparent. Um, private sale is, you know, halfway in between. It's okay for both. But that expressions of interest or best offer by close close of business on a certain date really I don't like it very it's got much got knobs on it excuse our French yeah <laughs> um, because uh, yeah look if we and you mentioned in the research part of that that if we've got a house that we're interested in we hopefully have looked at some comparable sales we, we maybe know what's sold in the in the area in the last six months or three months so we know realistically what it should be worth or what we're prepared to pay for it mm-hmm. let's go down the the rabbit hole of of the process uh, from from start to finish with, with that in placing an offer so 
basically what you need to do is establish what price you are happy to pay and where you see value through that research process. The next step is to, well, the process I go through is to get hold of the contract and have it reviewed because when you are placing an offer and it's a signed offer, it is legally binding and yes, you do have cooling off and we'll get to that in a second, but when you're putting the offer forward, you need the terms in your favour and you, the only way you know it's in your favour is if a, if a solicitor or a conveyancer reviews it and tells you what conditions you need to add or remove from the contract. So that's the first thing you need to do, get the contract reviewed. Then you go about constructing an offer. This will require you to actually speak with the agent and understand how they would like this. Some would like it in an email with the relevant pages from the contract signed with your relevant information. Others uh, will want you to come into their actual agency office and sign up the offer with you there. There's lots of variations, but the point of the matter is at that point in time, you need to make sure the contract reflects your best interests. You need to have your price and you need to have your deposit amount. And as we touched on before, some of them may require you to put down a part deposit with the offer as well. Yeah, so our finance needs to be well and truly sorted before we go putting in offers left, right and centre, doesn't it? Definitely. And just touching on that piece of finance. So obviously, in order to make an offer attractive to the vendor, the less extras you have to add in, the better because they want something clean cut that's easy, that's get the deals done. This is always a really sensitive one, but subject to finance, so meaning that your offer is subject to a financial institution approving you for that amount for that home and that they see value at that level, which requires evaluation. It, unfortunately, if you're up against someone who is not subject to finance, it can hinder your chances, but it is a very much a risk and reward situation. I was talking to my colleague, Marcus, in the in the office this morning. Shout out to Marcus if he's listening. And he was asking me, we've got a property that we want to buy. It's at um, a guide of 680 to 700. Do we want to be the first person to put in an offer? It got listed last weekend. There's five contracts out on it at the moment. It's It's in Sydney, so it's a reasonably warm sort of a market. Do we want to be that person that puts in the first offer for the agent to gauge where the market's at? Or do we sit back and wait for an offer to be already put on the table? Good question. I don't know what happens in Sydney, but here in Melbourne, particularly when it's a private sale process, it's actually an advantage to be the first one to place the offer because if your offer is at an acceptable level, they will notify the other interested parties and then they can place theirs and then they come back to you to see if you would like to go beyond the highest offer. So it's actually an advantage in the way some agencies negotiate their deals that they reward the first person that put the offer in. Yes. And that's exactly what I said to him. I'm glad mm. we're on the same page with that one because he was like, oh, you're just a test dummy for the rest of the uh, of, of the people out there wanting to buy that property and it, it gives the agent an idea of what someone's prepared to pay. But if, if the if the offer's not too high and you've and you're not obviously not too low, but uh, a reasonable one that's probably if you get it it's a bargain, um, then yeah, I agree. I think it's a it's a great way to be first cap off the rank. In in auction terms, it's like being the 
person to first put up your hand with an offer, isn't it? Um, yeah. It, it, uh, yeah. It shows exactly. a bit of courage. It certainly, it, you'll be rewarded for doing so in mm. that private sale environment. In a lot of offers at uh, at auctions now, you get a bottle of wine, don't you, for being first to put your hand up. So there's an incentive there. You do. It's a, it's a bit of bribery, but, you know, <laughs> if you walk away from an auction with a bottle of wine or a house, everyone's a winner. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned there before about making the offer appealing for the vendor. So finding out what the vendor wants, not necessarily price, but uh, what's the scenario? Why are they selling the property? Um, do they want short settlement? Do they want long settlement? What What is actually going to appeal to the actual vendor? Because I think we've got it's got to be a win-win for the transaction to occur doesn't it so if we can find out what the if it is a short settlement okay i'll put it subject to building and pest but we'll settle in 28 days um is that something that you would use Definitely. I think the biggest one actually we're seeing in the market trend at the moment, given we're recording in August of 2020, we are seeing that people are wanting to sell before they buy because they want to know how much money they've got to spend. So what that might require is a longer settlement, but say call it 90 days or earlier by agreement. And that means that the settlement date can be flexible so long as both parties are happy to move it forward that you can give them that. That's a really good one to be putting in if the vendor hasn't yet bought a property. Give them 90 days. That's a, that's a good amount of time. Um, but you can actually also bring it forward if they buy sooner. And that other property, it's a very domino effect settlement t- terms um, if they want to settle sooner as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so for buyers out there listening, it's not all about you. Yes, you want to purchase a property, but think about what the vendor wants. Talk to the agent, get to know them well, get to understand what the other party's after and then appeal to their conditions as best you can. And that's where you can maybe save yourself a dollar or two by going in with a potentially a lower offer, but the conditions are going to suit that person emotionally and then you're away. Definitely. Another thing, just touching on thinking about the vendor and what they need, in Victoria, and I believe there would be a similar document in other states as well, but in Victoria there's a document called a Section 27 and a Section 27 is an early release of deposit. Now, it has to be reviewed and approved by your chosen conveyancer or solicitor. But effectively, what it means is when, you, when you're successful in buying, your deposit sits in the agent's trust account. And it's not really benefiting anybody. It just sits in there waiting until settlement. When you sign this document, it releases this uh, money to the vendors. Now, those vendors might need it to help fund the deposit for their next purchase. So that would be a real advantage to have that. Now, you must seek legal advice around this. I'm not saying go ahead and sign a Section 27 by any means. Please, please seek legal advice. But just so you're aware of it, that can be a little cherry on top for some vendors. Absolutely. That is gold. Two passionate people having a chat about property, the Section 27 uh, (laughs) needs to be looked at in your negotiations. But if we don't know what the vendor wants, we we don't get to understand the ins and outs of that to even um, be in the front line, right? Exactly. So we've put in our offer. Are we always putting in an offer subject to something or is it just a straight, here's my offer, away I go, settle in 28 days? So from a professional standpoint, I always advise people to have a building and pest inspection subject to. Now, 
what you can negotiate on that is the turnaround time. So you could potentially call a building and pest inspection company, find out their availability. And instead of making it a five-day clause, you could make it within 48 hours. So the time is actually still within the cooling off period because cooling off lasts for three days. So if you could meet your condition before cooling off even finishes, then there's real no harm to the vendor whatsoever in doing that. So that's also another one to consider too. Yeah, absolutely. So as a vendor, logically speaking, the biggest fear is can the person get a loan? Can they give me the money? And if they can't, I have to then start the process all over again unless we're obviously going to auction and it's binding. So would you always have a finance clause in there? Because as a vendor, I look at it and say, well, if I see a finance clause, it means the finance is not 100%. Definitely. So this is not advice. This is my personal opinion. If I had a pre-approval in place and my servicing allowed me to purchase a property up to 800000 and I'm going in on a property that's sitting in around the 720 mark, I would know I've got a fair bit of wriggle room. Also, my deposit size comes into play. But if I've done my research and I believe the value sits at the 720 mark and I've been approved for more than that and I'm pretty confident the valuation is going to come in at what I'm paying for the property, I personally, if it's going to mean me winning the house, I personally won't put in this subject to finance clause if I'm very certain. Cool. But that is is not for everybody. Yeah, okay. So majority of what we're talking about here is for private treaty. Um, we're, we're not necessarily talking too much about auction because that's reasonably straightforward in the sense that if, you, if you're the highest bidder, you're bound to that contract. You, you've locked it in. There's no turning back. And if you do try to turn back, you're going to get legally slammed and it's going to cost you money. Um, so just for reference, we're, we're talking private treaty where we've got negotiation process, we've got multiple bidders out there. We don't know what they've offered. We don't know their conditions, but hopefully the agent's transparent enough to be able to um, allow us to to have the knowledge of, of saying, well, we're close to getting uh, an offer accepted here. We've got maybe two parties out there that are competing against you at the moment and that's where you can be strategic. So talk to me, Emily, about your involvement as a, a buyer's agent. If you've got a buyer's agent working in your corner, how is that advantageous to the potential purchaser? I think the biggest thing first and foremost is agent relationship. I think I get a lot more info out of an agent than the everyday person would because I've spent a lot of time building friendships with them as well um, to be, you know, they'd be very frank about what I'm up against without crossing any legal lines. Uh, And then second to that, I think it's ensuring that my client will get a valuation back at the same price or greater than what they've paid for the property. So they're not overpaying for the property. That's the that's last thing that as an advocate, and I'm sure you'd agree, that you'd want your client to have. Yeah, totally. So when you say friendships, you're not going out on a Sunday afternoon having um, having drinks with them, but simply no. the respect that I've been dealing with this agent for a number of years. They know what I want. They know how I operate. They know it's actually maybe a simpler transaction because Emily's clients, in my experience, are ready to roll. They're not just tire kicking and come back in six months trying to look for something. Exactly. They know what they're going to get uh, from me and the expectation level of communication and where my clients are at. And uh, that's an advantage if they've already dealt with me before multiple times putting through another offer. 
Excellent. So, yeah, if you're wanting to to engage a buyer's agent um, in in your corner, I think the, the the message there is you've got someone to act on your behalf and and take all that negotiation out of it. And the buyer's agent can actually act as that middle person where they can almost act as though they're not on anyone's team. They're just wanting a, an outcome, even though you obviously are. But yeah. Yeah, you can play that middle ground where the agent might tell you a little bit more than if they were just dealing straight to uh, a purchaser, which I quite like. So, yeah. Emily, before we round things off there, it's been fantastic. Anything else you want to add to um, placing an offer? So just to clarify when an offer is is valid and when it's it's considered a done deal is when your signed offer, so you filled out the, the contract of sale with the purchase price, the deposit amount, the settlement terms and any additional terms and conditions and you sign it and date it, it is officially accepted when the vendor uh, returns a signed contract. So they've signed on their piece of the paper. You will always sign first the vendor will sign second and when you receive it back, that is considered a done deal just to be very clear as to when your offer is accepted. Sure. Okay. What happens just finally in a case where I get an, I, I put an offer in um, and that offer is counter-offered? I probably don't know if what uh, amount that's been counter-offered by. What's your next play in that respect? So a counter-offer is obviously what the what the vendor is after, usually if it comes from the vendor, uh, I keep creeping until we hit a middle ground. So I don't usually accept the counter offer that the vendor is given straight off the bat. Mm-hmm. I will keep creeping up in increments that are not too big from where I initially was to reach an agreement. And that's negotiations can go for hours when yeah. you're working like that. Yeah. But it's a great result for, the, for everyone involved, particularly the buyer. Yeah. Okay. So as an example, my first offer was 700. The the vendor came back and, and counter offered with 725. Your next offer might be 710. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then decrease. And want to look like I'm running out of money. So I start to decrease my increments as we come to a, to a middle ground. Sure. Every dollar saved is uh, is a dollar in your pocket, isn't it? Exactly. And never split the difference. There's actually a book called Never Split the Difference. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you've read it. Probably have. <laughs> oh, I haven't. I don't do you a lot of reading these oh, days. Oh, well, you should read it and the listeners should read it too. It's I a should. really good book if you're thinking of negotiating a deal. Get on it. Never split the difference. Good one. I like it. Uh, Emily, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your expertise there today. Um, if you want to check out Emily, uh, she has an Insta handle, I'm told. It's called Emily <laughs> underscore Wallace dot BA. Um, as I mentioned uh, at, the, at the top of the show, expertise in buyer's agent service right throughout Melbourne and uh, hook her up if you need some advice in that space. Um, So thanks again for joining us. Thanks to everyone for following the podcast. Give me a feedback on whether you're missing Glenn from this. I I personally am not. I don't know about you, Emily, but I think um, it allows us to talk freely. (laughs) I hope that people I hope people like me. Let us let us know if feedback, you know, good and bad. We want we want to know how to make the show better. So Absolutely. we're always looking for improvement. Definitely let us know what you're feeling. Yeah, no, and, and we have had some overwhelming feedback that says you're here to stay, I think. So that that's why we're why we're doing it. Very good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. All right. Look happy. forward to chatting again. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> have a great week. Bye.
We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Special thanks to Wellman Finance, our podcast partner. Sean Wellman and his team are available to coach you through your property journey, even if it's your first time. With expertise in investment and home loans, they're in your corner providing education and support as you take each step. For more info, check out wellmanfinance.com.au forward slash M3. If you want to really turn up your property, education, and information journey, make sure you check out the Solvair Property and Finance Academy. This is an amazing online resource that John has put together. It's to empower and to give results to people who are either first-time buyers, whether for their home to live in or an investment property, or if you're a seasoned property investor. This online academy is for you. Check out the link in the show notes. It will change your life if you let it. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 